This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from All In With Chris Hayes, The Jimmy Dore Show, The David Pakman Show, Le Show, The Young Turks, The Majority Report, Counterspin, and Comedian Lee Camp. And to save time, you may want to begin shaking your head in despair and weeping for humanity now. A lot of people have been asking about that, about black holes and on and on and on and all of these conspiracy theories. Let's look at this. Uh, Noah says, what else can you think about? Black hole, Bermuda Triangle. And then Deji says, huh, just like the movie Lost. And of course, it's also, they're also referencing the Twilight Zone, which has a very similar plot. That's what people are saying. I know it's preposterous, but it, is it preposterous, you think, Mary? Well, it is a black hole. about, you know, a small black hole would suck in our entire universe. So we know it's not that. Bermuda Triangle is often weather, and uh, Lost is a TV show. Have you noticed that the coverage of this missing flight has gotten a little out of hand lately? For the record, that guest was right, or at least close. A black hole wouldn't really swallow the whole universe, but it certainly would swallow the Earth if there was a black hole near enough to take down a plane. And yes, Lost is a TV show. That clip I just played is getting around today because it's come to typify a certain kind of coverage that we've seen of this missing plane. And here's the thing you have to understand about the conditions that bring us to the point where a question of whether a black hole took MH370 is asked. I'm going to let you in on a little inside secret. Sometimes in the world of cable news, there's a mismatch between the demand for new information about a story and the supply of new information that exists. So what do you do in those circumstances? Well, you try to find creative ways of pushing out the supply. You have reporters and you hope they dig up new nuggets of information you can report, or you offer context or some history, or for the mystery of Flight 70, that's the strategy we've tried to use here at All In. We've talked about other flights that have gone down. We've talked about the way that modern airplanes can be flown on autopilot or how crash investigations work. But right now with this plane, none of that, none of that gets you to a point where you fill the demand. The demand is still there begging for more. So the question is, as the host of a cable news program, then what do you do? And so certain outlets have decided to fill the rest of that void with stuff like this. I know it's preposterous, but it, is it preposterous, you think, Mary? Well, it is a black hole. about, you know, a small black hole would suck in our entire universe. The thing about that is it's funny and also basically, ultimately, relatively harmless. No one thinks a black hole actually took this plane. But here's what is not so harmless. What's not harmless is filling in that gap between supply of information and demand for it with completely baseless speculation about nefarious foreign actors and enemies, and using the gap between the supply of information and the demand for it to push whatever paranoid theory you have to make people scared about the enemy you want them to be scared of. It's not okay for Rupert Murdoch, the head of one of the most powerful media empires in the world, to tweet, world seems transfixed by 777 disappearance, maybe no crash but stolen, effectively hidden, perhaps in northern Pakistan like bin Laden. It's not okay to put someone on your air who says this. There now appears to be evidence that there was a direct course through India flying in a shadow of a Singapore Flight 68. That hasn't been verified. The only thing that, that I have seen that is starting to become verified is the Lignet report that from Boeing saying that uh, they believe the airplane was in Pakistan. You've spoken to a number of people, am I correct? Yes, but that's all I want to say, Sean, please. My concern is if this airplane could be used as a bearer of a weapon of mass destruction or even conventional munitions that could attack a carrier, the Israelis, other allies, American forces, for instance. I think we're going to see in the next 24 to 48 hours that the Malaysian government may break it. The Pakistani government isn't saying anything, and why should they? Sure. Because it means they're complicit. For the record, that prediction is now expired. And also for the record, the credibility of that man, General Thomas McKierney, has also expired. It expired when he came out in support of Obama was born in Kenya birthers, saying their concerns are serious and widely held. Or when he said the reason we didn't find any WMD in Iraq was because it was spirited away right before the invasion by the Russians, the Chinese, and the French. It expired when he suggested that all Muslim men between 1825 boarding American commercial airlines should be strip searched. But that's Fox News, I guess. It is also, however, not okay to have a former Israeli ambassador on your show to speculate based on no information 
that the plane is being weaponized and heading towards Israel. Foreign aircraft approaching Israel's shores will have to identify themselves far earlier than has previously, previously been the case. So IDF thinks it is a possibility that this plane is being weaponized somewhere. Well, they can't rule out that possibility. They can't rule out that possibility, and they have to take every possible measure to protect the country in case this air air airliner has been hijacked and in case it could be aimed at the state of Israel. They can't rule it out. They can't rule it out. There are real people who are really hurting right now at the center of this tragedy, and there are real per people working their tails off to try to bring about some resolution of this. You cover that all you want. But do not use mystery and its presence as an excuse to further whatever boogeyman you choose to make your audience scared of. That is the grown-up versions of monsters underneath the bed. And our job is not to fill the air by telling bedtime stories. Let me tell you a bedtime story. Come on over, have a seat and wander with me. So if you've been following the uh, flight, the Malaysian 777 that disappeared, like uh, you can't you can't help but follow it. So I'm watching CNN. There's nothing to follow. There's nothing to follow, right? Yeah. The, the plane uh, disappeared. We have no information. Yeah. Okay, let's keep talking about it then. So here, Don Lemon, they're so they so they sit around. They have no evidence to dis to, to figure out what's wrong with this plane, where it went. He has on this guy from Decoded, right? Which this this doesn't sound like it's going in a good way, right? Why are you having a news show interviewing somebody from Decoded, a, a TV, to talk about what happened to this plane? And so here's what Don Lemon says. Are you ready? Get ready for this, Brad. I'm glad you brought that up because we have been talking about this. Yes. I've been getting questions from viewers on social media, through email, and even on the streets. Oh. Especially today, on a day when we deal with the supernatural. He's talking. No, he was. This was on St. Patrick's Day. He was doing this. <coughs> so that's. So I don't know if you know St. Patrick's Day is the day we deal with the, the supernatural super of drinking. Of St. Day? Yes, that's what he said. <laughs> this supernatural. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, the the um, the the crazy story about the Irishman who wasn't a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, that's so anyway, so that's and today when we deal with the supernatural, so Don Lemon goes on. When we go to church, the supernatural power of God. You deal with all of that. People are saying to me, why aren't you talking about the possibility? And I'm just putting it out there that something odd happened to this plane something beyond our understanding Had okay i'll tell you why when people ask you why aren't you talking about the possibility that something beyond our understanding happened you mean like mysterious you mean like supernatural don i'll tell you why you shouldn't be talking about that because you're on a fucking news channel <laughs> That's why. Because you're doing a news show on a news channel. It says CNN right in the corner of the screen, and I'm pretty sure that doesn't stand for not news. I think that stands for news network, not speculation <laughs> about the supernatural. Hocus poke. Hey, is magic real? We'll talk to Don Lemon tonight on CNN. <laughs> for the same reason when there's a tornado, we don't go... Was it gay sex? Was it gay sex that did that? Yeah. It might have been. Hey, there are some things, Robert, that may be beyond our understanding, like the mysteries of the universe, the origins of complexity, the TV career of Wolf Blitzer. But, <laughs> but a plane that hasn't been located yet is not one of those things sure. that is beyond our understanding. Did, did Don... Especially, the plane was over a gigantic ocean, and it probably went down, so the fact that people can't find it, it's not the weirdest mystery of all time. Oh, you don't, you don't think it was a ghost? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, it certainly wasn't a friendly ghost. <laughs> That's did he should we I don't know Don Lemon should we call FAA or Creskin who should we get on this <laughs> I mean that's that, that's a news guy that's the news guy and so okay so now he throws it back to the Dakota I mean the, Don Dakota, Dakota guy who again 
from the History Channel. Yes. The History Channel, which has turned into this. To this. Yes. Yes. yes right. So, um, and by the way, Don Lemon uh, is what carnies call a mark. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just so you know. So now he, the, the, the to- decoder guy, listen to, so he's going to, so he throws it back to the decoder guy and listen how he sums up the whole thing. This is great. I've never heard a guy state the obvious more convincingly than this guy. And, and we all, you know, we all kind of roll our eyes at conspiracy theories. But what conspiracy theories do is they ask the hardest, most outrageous questions sometimes, but every once in a while they're right. Mm. Yeah, like how do you spell helium monster? <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> right? Those are some of the toughest questions you're ever going to get. No, anyway, so here we go. Um, and that's what we have to remember here. I mean, right? I think why it's captured our attention is because there is no logical explanation right now. Right? You can say, oh, it crashed into the ocean. Um, <laughs> sure, you could say that. Sure, you could say that. You could say that. There's no logical explanation. Of course there is. What are you yeah. talking about? It crashed into the ocean. What are you yeah. talking about? Here we um, go. But something just seems... Go- Where are the parts? Where are the pieces? Why did it keep going for seven hours? Why do you have a guy on board who gives his watch and his ring to his wife and says, keep this for my boys in case something happens to me? Um, I don't know. Maybe because he's getting on a plane and he has yes. a feeling. I don't know. Maybe... <laughs> who knows? What is, he- what is this you know, guy? There are, there are couples who won't fly on the same plane because they're afraid that if there's a crash, they want the, one of them to be alive for their kids. So that's a very, like, normal thing to have some kind of, take some kind of precaution just in case something happens. Yes, but I love this guy. He's saying, um, he's going, so this, what, what, there's so many unanswered questions. Oh, why did it keep flying for seven hours? Why did it, why are there no wreckage? Why do I don't know. I guess that means it's probably Martians. That's what I'm guessing. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, I mean, I, if, if I came on CNN with my theory that, that they, that, uh, Jack Reacher was the in-flight movie and it was a mass suicide, that's just as logical as anything they're saying. Actually, it's more logical. It's actually more logical, yeah. Frank. That's actually more, hang on, he's got, he's got more to say. Now watch how he just keeps stating the obvious as if it's some kind of profundity. And that's not some stranger, he's a mechanical engineer. Something smells wrong. And you know, one of my favorite reporters once said to me that the American people always will sniff for the truth until they find it. Yes, right? And that's why we know who killed Kennedy. Uh, why? why? I, I, I love when he says uh, they will always sniff the truth, and he's not talking about sniffing for the truth. He's talking about wildly speculating <laughs> yes, yes. and fabricating ideas out of news network. Out of nothing. Out of out news of, network. Yeah. Here we go. He's got a little bit more to say. And there's something about the story that just strikes us at our core where something seems really fishy. It just smells terrible. Well, I'm glad we got an expert from the History Channel to let us know that a 777... <laughs> it strikes us at our and core was, if that core is paranoia. Yeah, go ahead, Frank. Where was CNN when we were going to war with Iraq? Where was those people saying, oh, something doesn't quite smell right? <laughs> right. the truth. I think it was Alex... those people then on CNN? You never heard anyone on CNN during the entire lead-up to the Iraq War, say anything remotely like that. No. You, I think it was because it was allergy season. Yeah, it was probably they couldn't sniff, right? When did we go? We went into Iraq during allergy season, just like Steph says. I'm glad we got an expert to weigh in on the jumbo jet that disappeared without a trace and no leads. He thinks something seems really fishy. Wow, Frank, you know, me as a layperson, I would have never suspected something fishy was going on. A jumbo jet disappears without a trace and no explanation. I think that just sounds like normal operation, doesn't it? But thank God CNN got an expert in this sort of thing, and he thought of a possibility that nobody thought of before, that there's something fishy happening here. Thank God. He goes on with some more. He's going to state some more obvious, Frank, as a profundity. Here it comes. And you know what? When that happens, I'm not one of those believers in, you know, that aliens came down or anything like that. But you do have to stop and go, how does a jetliner with almost 200 people on it disappear? How are they just gone? Okay, he's right. When a jetliner with almost 200 people on it disappears from radar without a trace, you really do have to ask how a jetliner with almost 200 people on it disappeared without a trace. You really do have to ask that. (laughs) That's what he just said. And then Don Lemon Lemon goes, absolutely, absolutely. He just said when when a jet goes down, you have to ask, why did the jet go down? You really do. And he said it as if he was really asking some penetrating question. And it so much drove me crazy that I'm going to play it again. But you do have to stop and go, how does a jetliner 
with almost 200 people on it disappear? Absolutely. How are they absolutely. just gone? Ugh. Absolutely. absolutely. Oh, Don Lemon, absolutely. You do have to ask that question. Absolutely. Uh, ben and Jerry's has a new sorbet called Don Lemon. Uh, you open it up, there's nothing inside. <laughs> One question I get a lot from listeners has to do with how long it takes me to make an episode of Best of the Left. Well, between all the research, show prep, and actual editing, it comes out to around 20 hours of work for each one of the 10 episodes I make every month. Obviously, this is only possible because of the listeners who chip in a few bucks each month to make it happen, so if you appreciate this show and think it provides a valuable service, then please think about becoming a member at the $10 a month level. That's only a buck a show, after all. I've always believed in giving away the show for free so everyone can hear it without restriction. So if you can afford 10 bucks a month, that covers yourself and several others who maybe can't afford to pay but who need to hear the show as much as anyone. As thanks, members also receive bonus content including extra voicemails, behind-the-scenes stories, and more of my personal musings. Thanks so much for your support. There's one bit of coverage that, in the midst of horrible corporate media coverage of Malaysian Airlines Flight 370, there's one specific bit of, bit of video. It's only 13 seconds from Fox News. This is our old friend from Fox News, Bill Hemmer, who we haven't really talked that much about lately. I guess he's been taking more of a backseat role, maybe, on Fox News, or maybe because I can't stand to watch cable news for more than a few seconds or minutes at a time before having physical symptoms now because it's gotten so bad maybe i just haven't been seeing bill hemmer but in any case bill hemmer was uh... speculating about well how long is it going to take us to find uh... physical evidence of the location of malaysian airlines flight three seventy and he was speaking with former faa spokesperson scott brenner and he says well you know what if we think about how long it's taken us to find other stuff like noah's ark it could be a while until we find Flight 370. Check out, take a look at this uh, short video here. You can't take that for right. gospel. So it took us, what, 100 years to fly the, uh, find the Titanic? It took us 2,000 years to find Noah's Ark? Yeah. Do we ever find Flight 370? Oh, I think we find flight, flight 370 much more, much sooner than those two things, thank God. I don't know what the hell is going on on Fox News, Lewis. I thought, well, maybe... Bill Hemmer is thinking of those claims that were made that Noah's Ark had been found in Turkey. Of course, those have been repeatedly debunked by scientists like Lauren Jean Collins of California State University uh, and, and so many others. And even Fox News itself reported on the hoax of the finding of Noah's Ark. Uh, the problem here that I have really with this type of statement on Fox News, remember, this is a news anchor. There's a news anchor who is there not to opine, presumably, but just to lay out the facts or ask basic questions to experts. And he throws in, well, we're looking for a plane which we know existed. People saw the plane take off. We know planes exist. We know about physics. We know about aviation. Pilots exist. People get from one place to another. We know the plane existed. And it could take us a while to find it because if you think back, to when we found Noah's Ark, which took us 2,000 years, by the way. Uh, of course, Noah's Ark, a, uh, um, a, a vessel, a seagoing vessel built by a five or 600-year-old man, uh, which had two of every kind of animal on it for six months, and Noah and his small family fed somehow all of these kinds of animals, and none of the animals ate each other, even the ones that typically are uh, carnivores, not herbivores, and it all worked out. It's just like that, Lewis. When will we find the plane? It's just like Noah's Ark. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think this is just him giving the Fox News listeners what they want to hear. Is he throwing think, red meat at the crowd? Literally, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's throwing red. I think that's that's what they like. I think. Take a kick out of that. Any any Bible reference you can throw in really is, I think, a big plus. Bill Hemmer tomorrow will be bringing in experts to locate the tree where the Keebler elves make the cookies, Lewis. I look forward to that hard-hitting report. Is that the same tree with the apple and, and the <laughs> snake and all that? Imagine if it turns out to be that same tree, yeah. Um, you know what I think maybe some people 
are thinking happened here. The plane flew over the side of the flat earth and it just dropped. It just dropped. I don't know where is up, where is down when you fall off the side of the planet, but it just fell off. It went all the way around. Or aliens. I mean, we have to consider that too. This is AC-370, the search for Flight 370. Here again and again is Anderson Cooper. Day 16, and hopefully there's no end in sight. Again tonight, we're keeping them honest, and we don't even know who they are or what they've been doing. And CNN's continuing coverage, like the search area itself, keeps expanding. Earlier this week, a familiar face returned to this network as our former space correspondent, Miles O'Brien, returned as an aviation analyst. After all, it's all flight. Now we're welcoming back another old friend, uh, I guess I, I should say familiar face, no stranger to stories where information is, uh, to put it mildly, at a premium, and taking over for the next little while, unless there's any real news, in which case Wolf Blitzer will be back. But in the meantime, here's our old friend, Larry King. Thanks, Anderson. What a story this is. Full of twists and turns, but no road. We got a great panel here. They're going to help us go over again what we don't know. And uh, I should fit right in because when it comes to aviation, uh, avionics, avi anything, I know from nothing. <laughs> Just strap me in and give me an ambient. In our Los Angeles studio tonight is a former FBI psychic, Rhonda Matsui. In our Atlanta headquarters is our own disaster meteorologist, Stormy Frost. And in a voiceover studio in London, a travel authority recognized worldwide, the Travelocity Gnome. Rhonda, let's start with you. What kind of cases does the FBI need a psychic for? You'd be surprised, Larry. Hey, if I'm awake at the end of the hour, I'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. Short answers are killers right now. Well, for example, when a profiler has hit a dead end in analyzing the clues surrounding a possible perpetrator... Mm. I'll be called in, given an article of clothing, or a pen, or even a toothbrush, anything the possible perpetrator may have touched, and then I use my gift to contact the spirit of that person and to mentally question him or her. And how many cases have you helped to solve? That depends on what you mean by solve. Okay, you've had a bath towel in your possession which CNN exclusively got hold of through one of our... Malaysian hotel sources. It was supposedly in the room where the co-pilot of Flight 370 may have recently stayed. What can that towel tell us? Well, Larry, first problem, it was very recently laundered. Oh, I bet that's the first time they had that complaint about that. <laughs> I know, but in my field, that removes about 90% of the useful psychic information. Well, what can it tell you? It was laundered with other towels, a very strong detergent with bleach at about 115 degrees for a good long wash cycle. Okay, and, and what about the co-pilot? I got a very weak connection with him, Larry, and so far the only message I've gotten from him is something to the effect of someone should make sure the Mile High Club stuff is erased from the flight simulator. Okay, Stormy Frost in our Atlanta Severe Weather Center. Actually, Larry, I'm in the Nasty Weather Center. Severe is down the hall. Okay, we keep hearing about storms and currents in the South Pacific. <laughs> what else can you tell us and uh, how long can you take? Larry, as you know, it's been from two to four days between the time satellite imagery showed something in the water to the time those images have been released. How far can that something, whatever it is, travel in two to four days? Well, as you might guess, that depends on the speed of the current and the winds, as well as their direction at that particular spot in the ocean. And, of course, two to four days later, we don't even know for sure where that spot is. Here's what we do know right now. Really bad outlook down there for the rest of the weekend. Really, if you have a choice... 
I'd say search in the northern arc this weekend. It's mainly sunny up there. Fair, mild temperatures in the southern arc over the South Pacific. Well, you remember the polar vortex we had last January. It's a lot like that, only without the snow. Stormy, any link between this kind of weather and climate change? No, Larry. This is normal weather for this part of the world at uh, this time of year. Okay, but normal could be caused by climate change too, right? Uh, Let me get back to you on that. To London and the Travelocity Gnome. You go all over the place and you never move. So that must give you a unique perspective on this puzzling mystery. Well, not really, Larry. I'm as puzzled as the next gnome. We have no idea what happened, and we have no idea where the plane and its passengers might be. Yeah. Tell me something we don't don't know. <laughs> we got a question from a viewer for the gnome. Mm. Tinker Ben writes, I've been hearing a lot the last few days about Australia. What is that? Well... It's just like a smaller America, with a big dollop of England on top of it. Uh, for our FBI psychic, Rhonda Mitsui, mm-hmm. this via Twitter from BlueG97. Is it possible that the plane could have entered another dimension, perhaps given the new theory of multiverses, even another universe? If so, how do we get it back? Rhonda. Larry, I'm no expert, but that sounds like more than 140 characters to me. And that makes you suspicious? Well... It just makes me wonder if Blue Jean 97 knows something about Twitter that the rest of us don't. Yeah, good point. Stormy. Larry, just have to chime in here. Uh, any other universe would most likely have completely different weather. So that's another huge intangible we're dealing with here. And, and in that other universe, Stormy, mm-hmm. they might not even have climate change. No, they might not. And the questions keep asking themselves. The answer's got nothing to say. Anderson. Thanks, Larry. Coming up in the next hour, Martin climbs into the news coverage simulator to see what our coverage would be like if a different scenario unfolds. Then something very much like this hour, but an hour later. Stay with us. You win, it's your show now, so what's it gonna be? Because people will tune in, how many train wrecks do we need to see before we lose touch? We thought this was low, well it's bad, getting worse, oh, where'd all the good people go? I've been changing channels, I don't see them on the TV shows, where'd all the good people go? We got heaps and heaps of what we saw. Recently, Pando Daily writer David Sirota wrote a piece exposing what is exactly happening at PBS. They had this series called The Pension Peril, where they seemed very, very critical about pensions for public employees. Now, after doing a little digging, David Sirota managed to find out who the major funder was for that series, and it was actually a former Enron trader by the name of John Arnold. He donated $3.5 million to make it possible for PBS to cover this story. Now keep in mind that he runs something known as the John Arnold Foundation and that foundation is against pensions for public employees. In fact, they'd like to get rid of pensions for public employees in the future, but for those employees that are currently working now, they would like to slash those pensions. So obviously, he has some sort of agenda here and if he's going to pay 3.5 million dollars to PBS, it's going to have a little bit of influence in their reporting. So uh, the title of David Sirota's piece is The Wolf of Sesame Street. Love it. Which is great. Um, And here's what he writes. He said that Pando has exclusively confirmed that the pension peril is secretly funded by former Enron trader John Arnold, a billionaire political power broker who is actively trying to shape the very pension policy that the series claims to be dispassionately covering. Okay? Um, So... Now, you would think that he probably contacted PBS first, because that's usually what you see with the mainstream press, right? You have these corporate sponsors that uh, will do advertising in the mainstream press, and then the mainstream press will definitely be influenced by that. But in this case, it turns out that PBS contacted him first, 
looking for the funds, meaning that they had this agenda in their mind. So like, well, we got to get paid. Let's come up with something that will definitely appeal to someone who's extremely wealthy. That way we get the funding to do this. So uh, to the contrary, the Arnold Foundation spokesperson tells Pando that it was PBS officials who first initiated contact with Arnold in the spring of 2013. She says those officials actively solicited Arnold to finance the broadcaster's proposal for a new pension-focused series. According to the spokesperson, they solicited Arnold's support based specifically on their knowledge of his push to slash pension benefits for public employees. All right, this is disgusting, and uh, apparently PBS is now totally useless. Um, and, and in fact, it's worse than useless. They're counterproductive. So instead of trying to educate people and do quality programming that people can benefit from, they're actively going around seeking out billionaires that they could service, mm -hmm. right? And saying, oh, please, please give us money. What, for what? For what? So you can stay employed a little longer, so you can get a nice, comfortable salary. That's what you sold out your journalistic uh, integrity for? So did they label the program as clearly funded by this guy? No. And they're supposed to. That's a clear violation of their own ethics and principles yes. stated by PBS. Now, why didn't you label it on air? They have one little sentence on their website, which a lot less people to go to. Why didn't you say it on air as you're supposed to? Because you were embarrassed of it, because you know what you did. You went and searched them out and said, how can I pleasure you? Well, how can I put something on air that will serve your propaganda purposes, mm -hmm. and then we'll pretend that it's, by the way, part of their objective news programming. They have a show called POV where they're like, well, remember, this is subjective. So they love to clearly label things that might actually be interesting and have a, a point of view that looks out for people, mm -hmm. right? But when it's something that looks out for the billionaires, yeah, they don't like to clearly label that. No, no, no. Because they got to get paid. They got to get paid. They got to get a salary, right? But look, this is part of their agenda. So the right wing decided, hey, you know what? Instead of trying to kill Big Bird and kill people getting actually educated and get real yeah. information from PBS, you know, we always say, oh, yeah, yeah, they're uh, liberal. You know, liberal and they're, and, but then they're biased. And then I think one of them must have had a genius idea and said, hey, wait a minute. Why don't we bias them? Mm -hmm. Why don't we take over PBS and have them do a right-wing agenda? Right? Yeah, and I think with public broadcasting, and that includes NPR, by the way, you know, you have Republicans that continuously threaten to slash the budgets or slash any type of funding that goes toward these outlets. So at the same time, you know, they're constantly trying to fundraise and, and find money in order to keep operating. And at the same time, you have these millionaires and billionaires that will gladly give your outlet money if, if you do their bidding if you push their agenda and th in this case that's exactly what happened so some might argue well okay maybe and this is a ridiculous argument I know that mo the majority of you don't believe this but some might argue well just because they're funded by this this millionaire doesn't mean that they're going to be influenced in their reporting PBS is going to have some integrity right absolutely not and David Sorota did a great job in um, specifying how their reporting in this series was inaccurate okay um, but I should also note that the foundation said that they reserved the ability to stop funding the series at any time in the event of extraordinary circumstances and obviously that is very very broad and vague on purpose so that way if they are reporting something that they don't like well all of a sudden we're gonna pull the, the money out of this. Now PBS already has a number of direct violations of their own code because they didn't properly label this and they, they're not supposed to do the agenda of a group like this. You know, technically they say, oh, even if you're doing cancer research, if we take money from a cancer research thing and we do an anti-cancer thing, we're not allowed to do that. In this case, this is a gross violation of that. You're taking three and a half million dollars and doing exactly what that group is, wants you to do and you're keeping it secret. Uh, but if all that wasn't enough, they also put in the documentary, oh, these uh, pensions, I mean, the quotes that David has in there, like, oh, the pensions are no good, they're hurting their uh, economy, and they're hurting yeah. the local governments, and that's the real problem with the local governments and then why they're out of money. And David points out, hey, why don't you talk about the $4 billion in corporate subsidies that yes. the local governments give out? Oh, oh, you didn't get sponsored for that. And then on top of that, as Anna pointed out, they put in a clause there that says, well, look, technically, I didn't have editorial control over that piece, the Arnold mm -hmm. Foundation mm -hmm. says. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if any of it, and it's a two-year series, it's not a one-time thing, it's a two-year series. At any time, if you, uh, you put something on there that we don't like, well, will you look at that? That's an extraordinary circumstance. You now lose your money. Yes. And the one thing those guys working for PBS at this point, their management want, is money, 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 money. Okay? So... And, you know, it's unfortunate because... 
PBS and NPR, they've both been labeled as progressively biased news outlets. And as a result, a lot of them are trying to overcompensate for it. You know, like they want to seem as though they're not biased. And in the process of doing so, they've moved so far to the right that their reporting is now extremely biased. No, see, that's the thing. I, I think that's exactly how it started, Anna. But mm-hmm. now I think, no, it's just a total takeover of PBS by the right wing. I'm not the one saying it. A former FCC official said to the Washington Post, um, uh, he said, Corporation for Public Broadcasting became, quote, engaged in a systemic effort not to just sanitize the truth, but to impose a right-wing agenda on PBS, Mm -hmm. okay? So this is a concerted effort. Now, the results of that, you have this. You have the, Alex Gibney did a terrific documentary on Park Avenue. It's a a particular building on Park Avenue that the Koch brothers happen to live in. Koch brothers give a lot of money to PBS. They're part of the takeover, right? So they didn't like that. And they put a ton of pressure on them and and threatened to withhold further money from PBS. Mm -hmm. And so PBS... Uh, was very tentative about how they put that on. And then they did something extraordinary. Chuck Schumer, a Democratic congressman, a senator, was also criticizing that. He's the, the biggest sellout to Wall Street there is. So they let Chuck Schumer and uh, David Koch ha- do, after the documentary, just go on the air and say whatever they wanted. Oh, this documentary is full of crap. By the way, they hadn't even watched the documentary. Okay? And say, like, oh, yeah, this is absolutely outrageous and we're the best and they're the worst. Okay. That's never done after any documentary. And there was nothing wrong with the documentary. It got vetted. All the things in the documentary are true because they went through a really rigorous vetting process. But they got to put the propaganda at the end of it anyway, Mm -hmm. right? And then on top of that, there was going to be another documentary on the Koch brothers. It got spiked, killed. Oh, no, no, no. The Koch brothers might not give us money anymore. And then let me read a bunch of the new series that they have at PBS. The Free Market Series. Mm Gee, I wonder where this is going. It celebrates um, right-wing icons like Steve Forbes, Cato scholar John Allison, author Ayn Rand. Okay, so all right, you, it's founded by the, of course, the John Templeton Foundation, another right-wing conservative organization. Gives PBS money, mm-hmm. gets them bowing down to Ayn uh, Rand. Okay, uh, but that's just the, but those are intellectuals and millionaires, billionaires. Okay, how about more unintended consequences? This is a, something that's going on in PBS. Unintended consequences. The evils of the welfare system. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Come on. Uh, money and morality. You know what that series is about? How moral it is to be greedy and have more and more money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is like, it's like they've become a parody of themselves. This is unbelievable. And, uh, and the list goes on and on. Uh, back in 2002, uh, they, they had an economic series that was um, funded by Enron that wound up promoting Enron. Huh, well, you look at that. Shocking. Interesting. Shocking. Yes. Uh, same thing about uh, Dow Chemical. Right? Conveniently promoted Dow's business interests. So this has gone from public broadcasting to the exact opposite. It's to trick the public through right-wing propaganda. They went to go take over the institution with their money, and they did it. Is there still good programming on PBS? And I feel sick about the people working on those shows who have now been totally discredited because of the actions of PBS's money-hungry unethical management, right? And But the genius of it is that since it's in between those shows, people, they've earned people's trust. And yep. through all those decades of good programming, they earn people's trust, only to betray it now at the end. And so they think, well, P- one, PBS is trustworthy, and if they tell me the pensions are the real problems, I guess it must be the real mm-hmm. problems. And then number two, I've been told by the conservatives that PBS is the liberal media. And if the liberal media is telling me pensions and welfare are the problem, Pensions and the welfare must really be the problem. Yeah. Climbing up on South Hill, I could see the city light. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be.
the U.S. National Academy of Sciences and the United Kingdom's Royal Society put out a new report, a new report without really much new information, but they are noting that climate change is happening, says Inez Fung, an atmospheric scientist at the University of California, Berkeley, co-lead author of the report. We see it in temperature. We see it in the melting ice. We see it in the sea level rise. Concentrations of carbon dioxide, the document, increased by 40% between 1880 and 2012 and are now higher than at any time in the last 800,000 years. How do they know this? They know this from core uh, ice samples. As a result, global temperatures are 1.4 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than in 1900. Arctic sea ice is shrinking. Sea levels are 18 inches higher. Ocean acidity is on the rise, and the geographical ranges of many plants and animals are shifting. However, if you are a stockbroker or one who kowtows to them every morning on Squawk Box, this is what is known as witchcraft. According to CNBC's Joe Kernan, talking to Andrew Rohr Sorkin, who apparently took some time off of the uh, find out who is uh, doing parody Twitter accounts beat. Here it is. <laughs> of the climate. So. Can, I, can I ask a question related to this? But I'm not a scientist, so I don't know. I am told that January 2014 was Earth's fourth warmest on I record globally. Really? If you take us out of, I mean, not, not if you, you don't have to remove us out of it, just on average for the whole globe. There were other, I that was much warmer. Now, what Andrew Ross Sorkin is explaining here is the concept of just because it's cold in your city or even in your state or even in your country, that does not mean that you can extrapolate that for the whole globe. This is a very difficult concept for you if you are, I guess, younger than the age of nine or eight or maybe seven. But it's very tricky if you're hosting the morning squawk box or whatever it is. Right, and and how and going back how far? If you really, um, it's 130 years, Andrew. The planet is four billion years old. So you're talking this about this is true, but I, and also the other warmer months were like in the 90s. Why would there be a warmer month when CO2 was was 30 percent less in the atmosphere back in the 90s? Why isn't it the warmest month every year? I'm just telling you that, that, you know, 130 years. Why isn't it the warmest? Now, this concept, actually, you probably need to be about 14 or 15 <laughs> to understand. That there, when you're talking about climate change, really almost when you're talking about any phenomena, it's never a straight line. It's trends. Now, these guys work with trends all the time. This is the functional equivalent of saying, like, Hey, it's 10:15. The stock market is down three points. You just said the stock market is up for the year. What's that about? It's down today at 10:15 because we talk about trends. But apparently, it's just too hard for this guy to understand. Years, all of us looking at this. It's almost like it's almost like witchcraft. In the Middle Ages, it was witchcraft. You would you would attribute adverse weather events to witchcraft. Now it's just we have now we just have CO2 at this point. I'm just suggesting that, the, but but even though we live in this very cold environment right now, it feels cold on a relative basis. It isn't as cold. It supposedly isn't as but cold. When it's a warm, but, when it's a, but when it's a warm year, then it is because of global warming. But when it's a cold year, ignore it. I, that's the way well, everything no, no, is. It's not a cold year. They pull us out of it. It's just unbelievable. Just unbelievable. How do, isn't there somebody at CNBC who just says, "Hey, you know, this guy's saying that science is witchcraft." I wonder if he goes to his doctor when his doctor says, "Here, here's this medication for your high blood pressure," and Joe Kern says, "That's witchcraft." It's witchcraft, that crazy witchcraft. Hi, I'm Sam Cedar. You may know me from my shows on Air America Radio, from filling in for Keith Olbermann on Countdown, or even, God forbid, my directing shows like Comedy Central's I'm With Busey. If not, you should really get to know me. 
Not personally, of course. I think we'd both find that uncomfortable. But if you're a fan of the best of the left like me, I think you'll enjoy my daily live show and podcast, The Majority Report, at Majority.fm. It's a daily dose of political news, analysis, and guests like Chris Hayes, Robert Reich, Digby, comedians like Mark Marin, Janine Garofalo, filmmakers like Morgan Spurlock and Lucy Walker, and on occasion, between my rants on raising taxes, ending wars, and decorporatizing our democracy, I can be mildly amusing. I'm unbought and unbossed daily on the Majority Report at Majority.fm. Cause there's no nicer witch than you. The scientific consensus tells us that human-caused climate change is well underway. On the February 14th Meet the Press, host David Gregory asked if the severe storms and droughts afflicting the country made confronting climate change a more urgent task, and clearly acknowledged the scientific consensus that, quote, climate change is real, close quote. All that, strangely, before moderating a debate between two non-climate scientists about whether climate change was real. Bill Nye, the science guy, said yes, it was real, citing the consensus. Republican lawmaker Marsha Blackburn said there was no consensus and warned that we shouldn't make laws based on hypotheses or theories or unproven sciences. Well, the debate was bad enough, but then NBC reporter Chuck Todd called for tabling of the debate over whether climate change is man-made or not, and said that we should come together acknowledging that it's happening and work to alleviate the effects by, for instance, building higher seawalls. This is corporate media centrism writ large. Climate change annoys Todd because some are right. And others, including one major political party, are aligned with those who deny climate change's existence or the need to do something about it. So it's not a debate that can be tabled. Sea level is rising as the planet warms and governments will necessarily spend trillions of dollars dealing with the consequences. These discussions are intensely political and they require, at the very least, acknowledging that one side of the debate is putting forth nonsense. your moment of clarity from LeeCamp.net. Tesla Motors announced recently that you can now drive across the entire continental United States for free in their fully electric Tesla Model S sedan. As you can imagine, this was huge news. We are breaking the back of the gigantic oil and gas industry. No more oil spills, no more global warming emissions, no more dick helmet sleaze nozzles like former BP CEO Tony Howard going yacht racing while covering the Gulf of Mexico in a fashionable oil slick sheen. One thing you have to give Tony Howard credit for, that is some damn fine multitasking right there. That guy can yacht race and destroy an entire ocean at the same time. I haven't even mastered yacht racing and masturbating at the same time. Anyway, the main difference between the Tesla automobile and the traditional fuel injection engine is that one of these things was built for the year 1902 and hasn't been updated since. It's basically like driving around on typewriters. And here's the mainstream media coverage of the news of this groundbreaking electric car that could change the world. Hmm, not the most thorough coverage I've maybe ever seen. Well, maybe it's just that technology is a, is a scary thing, you know? Maybe maybe corporate media aren't covering this because technology is, is it, it's a confusing world. 
reserved for eggheads who have Star Wars sheets on their beds stained yellow from the nightmares they've had of only having access to a regular USB plug for a phone that only takes a mini USB. You know, maybe the mainstream media doesn't cover technology at all, really. It's faster, lighter, has a bigger screen than the previous iPhone. From Australia to Arlington, Virginia, they lined up for Apple's latest version of what's become an icon. Oh, that's right. If an iPhone so much as farts, it gets a breaking news alert. These dipshits do some serious hard-hitting, I mean hard-on coverage for all things Apple. So on one hand, you have a story that could be the first step in slowing the climate change that is killing our species. And on the other hand, a story that could possibly change the app you use to order Thai food. But why would CNN break into the middle of their iPhone spank bank coverage for something as unimportant as, say, the fact that scientists at IBM have created a high-concentration photovoltaic thermal system that could maybe power the entire planet for free? I don't know what it is either, but it sounds important. Or that one scientist has invented a synthetic leaf that might save us from eating our own planet alive. It's not that our media doesn't want to cover these important news stories. It's just that there's a finite number of bright red breaking news alerts. And they used up every single one on the fact that the iPhone has a new color case. Apple is expected to unveil two new versions of the iPhone on Tuesday in California. One of those is the iPhone 5S. Now that's expected to come in a new color, gold, well actually champagne to be specific. We can't leave this topic of climate change and how the Sunday talk shows covered it without going to our good friends at Fox News. Now, if there's one thing I know about Fox News, they're fair and balanced. Let's take a look at uh, how their panel reacted to this. And they've got a panel including Democrats and people from the liberal media, like Washington Post. So uh, let's take a look at their balanced dialogue on this. The president's case may seem a bit hard to make when the eastern half of the country is in the grips of a brutal winter. I, I'm one of those who are called deniers. <laughs> of course the climate is changing. It's always changing. That's what gave us the medieval warm period. That's what gave us subsequent to that for centuries, the little ice age. Of course it's changing. The only question is, how much money are we going to spend? And how much wealth are we going to forego creating in order to have zero discernible effect on the environment. It has become very much an article of faith on the left that this is perhaps it, the, the biggest threat that the world faces right now. And I think that what Obama is doing is, is a sort of overtly political move here. The Wall Street Journal, they did a poll of 15 pressing issues. Yes. What do we need to address? Climate change came in dead last. last. I once heard uh, the former president uh, Bush say this is a rich man's issue and I think there was a certain amount of wisdom in that in this sense if your other economic problems are in abeyance if you've got jobs if you've got income you've got everything else you can worry about the long-term threats if that's what they are like climate change when did global warming become climate change when it, it became climate change when you couldn't prove that there was much global warming anymore you know as the temperature didn't change <laughs> except that's totally and utterly untrue so uh, there were so many things that were fun in there uh, by the way in a different part of the segment um, Wall Street Journal com columnist that you just saw there Kimberly Strassel said that um, uh, that you there was no proof uh, and you saw her repeat it there uh, in that last clip that there was no proof that there was global warming exists and that climate change exists except that George Will said over and over in the beginning that of course that's true, of course it is. But I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. How much wealth are we going to forego in order to try to fix this when we can't? But how do you know we can't if you haven't even tried? And that's really what the issue is, right? Forgoing your wealth. 
I mean, you nailed it there, George Will. That's the one time you've been accurate. And uh, I like the other Washington Post columnist who's like, oh, please, <laughs> this is a rich man's problem, thinking long term. No, we should all be idiots and think short term. And if we're not going to die tomorrow, we should ignore it. Wow, that was a convincing argument. I really appreciated that. But my favorite, of course, is Kirsten Powers, who's supposed to be a Democratic strategist. <laughs> this is the Democrat they always bring on to say the Democrats suck, and they're idiots, and they're wrong. Uh, my God, Fox News, you pay me really well. I mean, you're totally right. You're totally right. And what does she say there? Oh, this is something that the liberal base likes. So when President Obama does something about it, it's overtly political. Well, then what's he supposed to do? Nothing? Wouldn't that also be political? Because that's what the right wing wants. That's what the Fox News base wants. So apparently you can't address any problem because that would be overtly political. <laughs> He's the president of the United States. That's his job. Look at all these weak ass excuses to make sure we don't do anything. From a panel and a whole station bought off by the oil and gas industry to make sure they keep making money tomorrow, even if we're all going to die in the long term. Look, you don't want to get crazy. Oh, well, we're not going to die in 20 years or 40 years. I mean, it might take a little longer to destroy the whole planet. And by the way, reversing it also takes decades. But Fox News didn't want to forego any wealth in the short term. It's strange how the same media that give themselves prizes for reporting that has an impact, that brings about change in the world, are also quick to erase themselves utterly from phenomena in which they have an undeniable place. Take a recent New York Times story about the new report on climate change from the American Association for the Advancement of Science and whether or not it will make any difference. Writes reporter Justin Gillis, quote, because so many people are confused about the science, the nation has never really had a frank political discussion about the options, close quote. He contrasts this to the debate and subsequent action on CFCs and explains, quote, global warming has been much harder to understand, not least because of a disinformation campaign financed by elements of the fossil fuel industry. But the new report is a recognition among scientists that they bear some responsibility for the confusion, that their well-meaning attempts to convey all the nuances and uncertainties of a complex field have obscured the core message about risks. The report reflects their resolve to try again by clearing the clutter. Will the American people hear the message this time? Close quote. So the public is confused about climate science, and the blame for that rests with a fossil fuel industry that actively disinforms, and with scientists who use too much nuance. No blame left, then, for, say, media outlets and their practice of pretending that those two groups hold positions of equal validity. And what could media possibly have to do with the ability to hold frank political discussions about the options? Unless it's maybe their ability to, if they chose, hold frank political discussions about the options. Modesty is all well and good, but media who ask if the American people will hear the message need to own up to their own role in delivering it. Chris from Colorado Springs. Hey, I'm calling because I was I listened to NPR, <clears throat> all things considered, on a daily basis, and I heard a report about the new UN climate projection report that came out. That's you know looks completely awful, and I'm sure you're no doubt going to have an episode on coming 
coming up. Um, and I was just shocked and appalled at NPR because they introduced the study, said it was done at the UN, and it was done with thousands of scientists and with, with people who proofread it. And then they did a focus spot on this one guy, the one guy in the group who refused to put his name on the report because he thought it was too doomy and gloomy. And I just think it was another example of the lack of parity in the media coverage of the, the climate issue. You know why it's a doom and gloomy report? Because it's doomy and gloomy. I am terrified for my son's generation, for my grandchildren's generation. And, you know, your show has really been the one responsible for putting all these issues on the map for me. So I didn't know if you had a chance to check that out. I just think it was a good illustration of a generally well-meaning media outlet NPR, who does most things in, in a way that I think is at least fair, focusing once again on the one out of a thousand people who actually think that that report uh, wasn't worth putting their name on. So, anyway, I just wanted to put put that on your radar. radar. I'm looking forward to the episode you posted today. All right, thanks. Bye. Hi, this is Sonia from Minnesota, and. Um, this is a perfect example of don't wait for someone else to do it, do it yourself. Because the whole issue about the straight fellow that prefers identifying as queer, not because he's at all questioning or anything, but because he doesn't like the sound of straight, I was waiting for someone to say this, and no one did, so I have to say it. I am a queer person. I have to deal, I've had to deal with... Um, harassment. One time somebody threatened my life. It was just a joke though. Ha ha. Very funny. And uh, I can't get married some places. Some places I can get fired or denied work. Hell, we just had the episode in which some people can deny me a cake. I have to deal with a lot of BS all the time because of my orientation. BS that this straight fellow that wants to be called queer when he isn't doesn't have to deal with. And um, while I can perfectly uh, understand why he probably doesn't want to be called straight because he's probably thinking of all the a-hole straight people that he doesn't want to associate with, well, I'm white, but uh, my mother's side of the family decidedly isn't. I just take after my father so much that I am white. And I don't like be calling myself white, but I have to accept the fact that I am. So... That's all. Goodbye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who call into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So today, I was going through my notes, and I found this little snippet of a story that I've been meaning to tell for almost years now. And this goes back to a real old, old, old time listener, uh, Chris the Carpenter, who I, I've mentioned him before. I met up with him a couple of summers ago, and he, he had just you know a couple, a couple bits of homespun wisdom that he shared with me, and they've been kicking around in my head ever since. And uh, so I've, I've mentioned some of what he said before, and as much as I would love to start like a recurring segment, homespun wisdom from Chris the Carpenter as vaguely recalled by Jay two years later... Uh, th this might be the last one that, that I have available. And it, it's perfectly apt for today. It's, uh, it, it comes, as, as all of his stories did, from his sort of consistently sparring with conservative co-workers back when he worked as a, as a carpenter, as you might expect he was. And, and so he just kind of like spar with these people over politics, you know, having, you know, lots of conservatives to, to debate with, and he got pretty good at it. And so today's is about, you know, how to talk to a conservative about climate change without having to explain any climate science, uh, especially because they're probably not going to be uh, too amenable to that type of reasoning anyways. And so the basic story went that you know when he was debating with the you know these conservatives over whether climate change was even real he would point out that you know we, we got all this oil under the ground right you know, billions and billions of barrels of it and we're burning it for energy and this is something that has never been done ever in the history of the world you know people just didn't use energy that way they used the energy from the sun 
But that was, you know, pretty is, is like a trickle of energy compared to what we can do with fossil fuels now. And it took millions and millions of years for all the oil and coal and natural gas to get under there. But now we're extracting it and burning it all in a really, really relatively short amount of time. And so his question that he would pose to a conservative is, you know, pulling out all that oil and coal from the ground and burning it with no repercussions sounds like a bit of a free lunch to me. And, you know, I, you know my understanding is that conservatives, you know, any conservative worth their salt is not really going to be uh, the one to believe that anything is a free lunch, right? And, you know, so just, just for a little bit of context, 80% of the atmosphere is within 10 miles of the surface of the earth. Pretty thin layer. But again, just for comparison, to the center of the earth on average is somewhere in the neighborhood of 4,000 miles deep. So we've got this tiny little layer of atmosphere, uh, you know, on, on this giant planet. And, you know, there are people all over the place, almost all of them using some, uh, you know, amount of energy, some much more than others, obviously. And, and we're burning basically as much oil and coal and gas as we can, as quickly as we can, to do all sorts of amazing things. Which, you know, you can argue about whether that's the right thing to do or not, but it's, it's hard to take the conservative stance that we could do all of that and it'd be basically a free lunch, you know? Why, why should we imagine that there would be any repercussions to doing any of that? And I suggest the next time you come up with a conservative who uh, actually thinks along those lines, I would pose it to him that way. Really? You, you believe in free lunches? You think that we can, we can do all that and not have an impact on the atmosphere at all? That seems a little strange. It's, uh, it's not really the sort of thing conservatives would usually believe in, free lunches and all. If you do end up having a conversation like that, I would love to hear about it. The number again, 202-999-3991. That is going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it, leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher, and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash bestofleft. That is by far one of the most powerful ways uh, that you can really easily and effortlessly support the show. So check that out. Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on our Facebook and Twitter pages. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway and outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame. How we get so trained